Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I have to compose myself. <clears throat> yeah, that last worship song, I think I'm going to go home and look that up and, and probably sing that some more this afternoon. <clears throat> it reminds me of the first time I came out here last summer when it was like 115 degrees. Um, but I remember at the beginning of that sermon, I, I couldn't even start because I enjoyed the worship so much and I was so caught up in it. It's like, man, I got, I got to get up here and talk to people now. And now it's... Um, it's kind of where I'm at right now. I just um, so overwhelmed, but let me focus. <laughs> um, and I so appreciate our worship team. You know, I know Hayden's not here, but Hayden as well. Appreciate you. I think it's difficult when you have people as talented as we do leading worship. Um, it would be very easy for everything to focus on them and, and their talent and their skill. But they do it in a way where, I know at least for me, I don't ever see them and think about that, but they're just using their skill to glorify God and they're leading us in worship. And I appreciate that so much. <clears throat> and yes, we sang a song about Christmas. <laughs> so, because it's May, right? And so I can't help but think Christmas, Hanukkah, uh, <laughs> you know. <clears throat> And so I remember years ago, this is a long time ago, I used to be an assistant manager at Starbucks, um, which I really enjoyed in, um, in Hollywood, and, and, and I forget which part of LA, I think it's on the west side, but um, I helped them decorate for the holidays one year. And our store looked amazing, red and green everywhere. It just it looked so Christmassy, it looked so good, and um, our regional manager thought I did a great job as well. And so he said, why don't you go around and help everybody else set up their Christmas things? That was my reward. Um, <clears throat> and so, and we did. And so me and my team, we went and helped everybody. But we got to one store, man, that just, it did not make sense. We, we were, as we were opening up all, all the display stuff to put out, it hit us. Everything in this box is blue and gold right? Everything is blue and gold. It's like, wait, what? This isn't what we're doing. And so um, I, I found out that this store, um, I forget the name of the neighborhood, but it's a Jewish neighborhood. And so the only way for Starbucks to be in that neighborhood is they can't sell pork. They can't mention, you know, Christmas, not even holidays. You cannot do it. And so everything in there was blue and gold and it looked awesome. But it was interesting because it, it was a lot of the same stuff, the same product, um, the same message, like peace, joy, right, lights, and so just slight variations. And so you had a Christmas tree with lights on it, and then you had a menorah, right, with branches with lights on them. And so it's like, wow, how different are these two holidays? You know, is there any intersection between them? Um, is Hanukkah even in the Bible? You know, is it biblical? Like, what, what, do, we, what do we do with this in our faith? You know, how would Jesus have responded walking into one of those Starbucks? Really, either of them. I'm curious to what he, what he would say, but really, um, the Jewish Starbucks, I think. You know, what would Jesus do if he walked 
into this like Hanukkah celebration. And this morning, I think we're going to get a pretty good idea as we're going to see Jesus walk into a Hanukkah celebration and see, you know, his response. In our text today, we're going to finish out John chapter 10, going through verses 22 through 42. Um, And as we do this, we're going to hit a couple of different points. This is a very different passage in that it's going to start tying together a lot of things we've already seen. And there's going to be like three main thrusts, but they're all different. So it's kind of like watching a movie. If you've watched a movie where you cut away to different stories, that's what the sermon is going to look like today because that's what, what John does. And so we're just going to follow him. And so today our sermon is Hanukkah versus Christmas, engage versus walk away. Let me pray for us. Lord, ah, thank you for this church, Lord. Thank you so much for Vanguard. Um, thank you for people, Lord, the sheep who you've called, Lord, and know your voice and want to sing to you. <clears throat> I'm so thankful for them, for you, Lord, that, that you are just so worthy to be praised. And, and I'm sorry, Lord, for, you know, just whatever's in my heart that shouldn't be there, Lord. Would you allow me and all of us, Lord, to, to leave outside whatever needs to be left outside and just really enjoy this opportunity to worship you, to, to learn more about you through your word, Lord, and to be transformed by it. It's not just to hear it, but, Lord, that we would be transformed continually by your word, Lord. Um, we, and we ask all this in Jesus' name, Lord. Amen. And so, the best place for us to start this morning before this text is actually 190 to 200 years before this text takes place. Somewhere between 175 and 167 BC, there's this king named Antiochus Epiphanes. Antiochus Epiphanes. And so this guy, not a cool guy, captures Jerusalem. Rules over the Jews. Like he's just ruling them. And, and so his name Epiphanes isn't his real name, even though every history book says this. He gets this name because he's crazy. And so Epiphanes means mad. This dude is mad, insane, ultra uncool guy. And so he wants to come around and take Hellenistic uh, Greek thought and put it into everywhere that he goes, which we've seen that happen before. Alexander the Great did that, right? But he did it in a way where he also preserved the culture of where he was going. This is not what Epiphanes does. And so what Epiphanes does is he says, I'm going to force Hellenistic culture you know, into Jewish culture. And so what he does is known as the desecration of the temple, of the second temple. And so he grabs the priests, grabs the priests, grabs pork, and shoves it down their throat. It's the first thing he does. He goes around the temple, turns the temple into a brothel. He takes the altar of the Lord and makes it an altar to Zeus. And so, I mean, if you're Jewish, I mean, this is a nightmare scenario. Absolutely horrible and all seemed hopeless, right? Because this guy's insane. Nobody's going to take him on. Until a few years later, there's a guy by the name of Judas Maccabees. You may have heard of him. And he leads the revolt, right? Against Epiphanes. And in 164 BC, he takes back, right? He takes back the city. He takes back the temple, And those who followed him were known as the Maccabeans after him. 
So they bring the temple back under the control of the priests, and they consecrate the temple, get rid of all the bad stuff, all, all the Hellenistic stuff. They rededicate it. Right? So the temple is back the way that it should be. Now the day that this happens, that it's rededicated, is the 25th of Kislev, which is our month of December. So basically, what we would call Christmas. And so we can read in the non-canonical book of 1 Maccabees 4.59, and this is in the Apocrypha, which, which is very important, but it's not Scripture, but, it, but it's good for reasons like this. Let's look at 1 Maccabees chapter 4, verse 59. Every year at that season, the days of the dedication of the altar should be observed with gladness and joy for eight days, beginning with the 25th day of the month of Kislev. And so this means that for this holiday, you have the lighting every day of eight candles. And so that is the holiday that we know as Hanukkah, right? Everybody know the, the, the menorah, the, the candles of Hanukkah? So that's what is being talked about here. And so this is Hanukkah, except in John 10, 22, this is known as the Feast of Dedication. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so this backdrop is important because as we look at the words of Jesus, and they are, they're, they're amazing, super words, but knowing this context, it even makes his words sharper. You realize why he chooses some of the words that he chooses specifically. And so let's start looking at, at verse 22. At that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, it was winter, and Jesus was walking in the temple in the colonnade of Solomon. And again, look, John wants us to know that this feast is the context. Everything takes place in the context of this feast. And this area specifically, it's kind of cool. If you've ever thought about like old philosophers, like what it must have looked like um, when their people were following in them, in your head you probably imagine, uh, imagine like all, the, all these stairs, right, and these columns, you know, and this is actually what is happening. This is the scene. Jesus is, is talking in the place where you talk about religion and philosophy and wax intellectual, you know, in, in front of these, these marble stairs. And so it's, it's pretty awesome. And so verse 24, it says, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And on the surface, this seems innocent enough. Like, this is the place where you go up to a teacher and decide whether you're going to follow them. Right? This is where the philosophers, they get, they get their, their disciples. And so it seems like that's what's happening. Oh man, Jesus is going to make some more, some more converts here. But I think we miss something in the translation. I think the translation is correct, but I think we just miss something. And so it says that they are gathering you know, they're gathering around Jesus, and that is the correct translation. The problem is the word for gathering is a gathering for battle, right? So this is not, they're surrounding their prey. They're getting ready to throw down is, is they're, you know, surrounding him and approaching him. And, and so then you have the question, uh, them asking, you know, who is he? And this is not genuine. They're not asking him to, like, who are you? Should we follow you? They, they surround him, and they're basically saying, like, where are you from? You know, that's how we kind of, you know, like gang members, where are you from? Like, say something. Like, tell us something so we can throw down right now. So they are picking a fight. And so it sounds innocent, but no, he's been surrounded, and the, these guys want to fight. 
And so we'll see in this conversation, I think parallels between the, when we talk to um, non-believers, unbelievers. And so we'll go through this morning, uh, we'll go back and forth, but look at this conversation and the way it looks like a lot of our conversations. And so we'll compare the gospel conversations that, that Jesus is having with, with those that we have. And the first thing that I want to look at is the fact that this is, is an ungenuine inquiry. When we share the gospel of Jesus Christ, people are not going to be genuine, you know, especially if they ask us. Doesn't mean that they are being genuine with us. I don't know about you, but multiple times uh, it's happened to me where I will be in a coffee shop and I'm reading my Bible and I got another stack of Bible books and theology books and someone will walk by. A lot of times it's really cool, you know, draws people to you, have great conversations. But then sometimes someone will stop me and say, hey, is that a Bible? Oh, are you a Christian? To which I'll shut my book, you know, I'll, I'll shut my book. Like make eye contact? Yes, let's, let's have this conversation. And as soon as I do that, they'll say something like, well, that's all fake. I don't believe in that. You know, to which I'm, okay, <laughs> you had to stop me to, to tell me that. And, and we will meet people like this who seem like they want to have a sincere conversation. But they're not searching. They're not really searching. You know, maybe they're searching for, for someone to bully with their meme-inspired worldview, but they're not searching for theological truth. Now, one thing about Jesus here is that he does know their hearts. Right? He, knows, he knows they're not sincere, but it doesn't stop him, at least at first. Now, we do not have the luxury of knowing if the people we're talking to are sincere. So we are to engage inquiries as though they are genuine. Engage inquiries as though they are genuine. Because church, we just don't know, right? We just don't know. And hey, look, I don't think it'll take long for us to realize if someone is really serious and what's happening. Uh, I believe the Holy Spirit will communicate that with us, but I also think we have enough reason to figure it out really quick, what is going on in this conversation, and then how to proceed. And we'll come back to that towards the end of the sermon. But right now, let's continue reading Jesus' response in verse 25. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. And so Jesus gives them two plain facts, right? Like, I did tell you guys, like, you know, we've already seen nine chapters of this. You know, he could, he could have said, like, I haven't stopped telling you guys. I my story has not changed. And so he, he answers in the affirmative. He answers positively, but he still hasn't given them what they want. He hasn't given them the answer they want yet. Then he brings up another point. Look at what I've done. Like, guys, I know what you heard, but look at what I've done. Like, how could you even ask this question? How do you not know that God is, is, is with me after, after, after everything, the teachings, the feedings, right? The healings. This guy was blind. There was 20,000 people that, that were hungry and then they weren't. Like, what, what are you asking me exactly? What did you see? What did you, what did you hear, boys? And so getting back to this, this comparison of gospel conversations, just like Jesus, we should share the facts of the gospel. Right? Share the facts of the gospel. Yes, God created us. I mean, look at creation. 
and we fell, and we rebelled, and we sinned. Again, look around. Look at this world. Tell me this isn't crazy right now. But God sent Jesus to save us from our sin, right? Lived this awesome life. Taught us about God. Paid the penalty of our sin, right? Died for our sin. Was raised on the third day as proof that everything he said was true. Again, look at the evidence. Look. Look. You may even go over evidence for the Bible, for the cross, and for the resurrection. But as many of you know who have done this before, most likely you're not going to change anybody's mind right there in that moment, right? That does happen, but, but not often. And that doesn't mean you were wrong. Right? That doesn't mean what you said was wrong. It doesn't mean your technique was wrong. I want us to know that this morning. I mean, just think about this. We are, we are articulating about Jesus, you know, and pointing to evidence. These guys are staring Jesus in the eyes, and they witness the miracles, and they are not following Jesus. So I think that should make us feel good. Like, don't, do not be hard on yourself. Do not stop sharing this wonderful news. If people are going to reject Jesus to his face, they're certainly going to reject you. But that just leads to the next question. Why? <laughs> Why is this? Why are these Jews rejecting Jesus to his face, who saw everything? Why do people that we share the faith reject, right? When we have, I mean, the day and age we live in with apologetics. Oh, goodness. How are they rejecting? Why the unbelief? And our answer is found in verses 26 through 29. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And so they do not believe because they are not sheep. And we can't miss this, church. Like, we can't miss this point right now. The cause and the effect of this verse, right? The order of how these things take place. It does not say that they weren't sheep because they didn't believe, right? It says they didn't believe because they weren't sheep. Regeneration always precedes faith. Faith does not lead to regeneration. You know, it goes regeneration, being born again. That leads to faith, and that leads to being a sheep. And it has to be in that order. And yet I know it's such a difficult concept to wrap our minds around. I will never pretend that it's not or be able to fully explain that. I can't. I wish I could, but we have to trust Scripture. And the dozen times we've already read this in, in the book of John, I mean, look at chapter 9. Jesus heals a man who was blind, and he comes to the faith, right? Could that blind man have healed himself? No, absolutely not. And then next week in chapter 11, um, we're going to meet this dude named Lazarus, which, you know, sorry, if you haven't read that story, ruin it for you. He's going to die, and he's going he's gonna to be raised from the grave. He's going to be raised from death. How much of that has to do with Lazarus? 
nothing, right? And so the ability to be healed and to be given life belong only to Jesus. Nobody has any power within themselves to do these things. And that's the reason these Jews who were talking to Jesus and who saw the miracles maybe ate some of that, that bread and fish and knew this guy who was healed and could see and are still, they're not in, right? They're still, they're still rejecting Jesus. And it's the exact same reason that today, like I, in my lifetime, I have shared the gospel with people and they have come to the faith. <laughs> Over 2,000 years later, they hear it. Yes, absolutely, I'm in. Right, that's the shepherd. You know, the sheep respond. The sheep respond when they hear you know, the voice of their shepherd. And then Jesus goes on further. And he says the sheep have the gift of eternal life. Not only do they have the gift of eternal life, but they have security. Like they can't, they can't lose this gift, right? They can't, they can't mess this up because... I mean, I mean we're, as humans, if we could mess it up, man, we would. We know this. And these are all themes that we found throughout John already. Like everything this morning, it's like, hey, didn't, we, didn't you already preach on that? Yes. But what does that tell you about God, about Jesus, and about what Jesus wants to communicate through John? Like over and over, these same themes. Like we have to get these things, especially when it's not just like one verse that can kind of be translated a certain way. But when we've seen things, you know, 10, 20 times in 10 chapters, let's just accept them, even if we can't explain them, right? That's the faith, the faith part of it. You have eternal life and you can't lose it. And here it says nobody can also take it away from you. Not a mob like that's surrounding him. Not cancel culture. And so let's quickly look at this. The security of the sheep. Like, I don't, I don't want us to miss this. I think we need to, to really look at the security of the sheep this morning. In verse 28, we know the security of the sheep is eternal. Your salvation and your, and your security will never end. Right? It just keeps going. Second, again in verse 28, it doesn't perish. So we have security that never ends because the sheep never die. And so thankfully... This isn't one of those whichever comes first deals, right? Like, you know, when you, when you buy a car, it's like it never expires. You don't die, so the, it doesn't matter. This will always go on. It will never perish your security. Again, in verse 28, the security of the sheep is in the hands of Jesus. And we've heard Jesus say this multiple times already, multiple times, that those who the Father gives him, he will not lose. He will raise them up on the last day. You've heard me say, you are not car keys. Like, Jesus is not going to lose you. Jesus does not put you down, and he won't forget about you. Right? It says you are in his hand. Right? That's what Jesus is saying. You are in his hand. And the question is, do you know that Jesus won't lose you? Do you know that Jesus won't lose you? Do you believe this? Do you believe this? And if that wasn't enough, I mean, Jesus wants us to know this, how secure we are, that in verse 29, he goes on further. And he says that we are in the hands of God the Father. And it's like, are you kidding me right now? How awesome is this? So, we, you know, we know from chapter 6 where it says, I think it's eight different times, that 
The Father is giving the sheep to Jesus. Jesus is receiving the sheep and saying, I'm not going to lose any of these. I will not lose a single sheep that you've given me. And so we're in the hands of Jesus. But in this verse 29, it also says when God the Father hands them off to Jesus, that God the Father also puts his hands back around the hands of Jesus. Do you feel secure? Like, how incredible is that? Do you know you are secure? Not just intellectually, but functionally. Like, not just to write down on a piece of paper, but does your soul, does your heart feel secure right now? Do you feel it? Do you know it? You should feel that way. Now, you may ask, okay, well, where's the Holy Spirit in this? And, and to be fair, Holy Spirit's not mentioned in this, in this text. I'm not going to put him there, but also we know from earlier, all the way back even to chapter 3, being born again is being born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, think about it, the Holy Spirit is bringing you to life, placing you in the hands of God the Father, being born again. God the Father is handing you to Jesus, who you are in his hands. God the Father has his hands on top of that, and the whole time the Holy Spirit is inside of you, testifying to who you are and holding you outside and apart from the world and from darkness. So you have all three of the Trinity. You are in their hands right now. I don't know, that, that, that makes me excited. <laughs> so I hope that you feel secure. I, I don't know what else you could possibly say at this point. So Jesus goes on. And finally says what they were waiting for. So now, you know, Jesus has given them this great theology lesson. They didn't hear it, but he gave them the lesson. But then in verse 30, he says, I and the Father are one. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are ye going to stone me? The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. And so these Jews are angry that, that Jesus has said that he is God. And in Jesus' response, what we see, I, I, to me, it's very interesting that his response is to compare himself to, essentially compare himself to Judas Maccabees. You guys are celebrating this dude right now and rejecting me. They are celebrating Hanukkah and rejecting the coming of God, which we know is Christmas. And so Jesus is going to point out the hypocrisy of Hanukkah by pointing out what we now celebrate as Christmas. And so here, I, I think it's very interesting. We'll have Hanukkah versus Christmas, right? So how do these two things intersect? What happens when Jesus comes into you know, a, a Hanukkah festival? And so we're going to look at several different areas and compare kind of how each side, each holiday, portrays God and God's people. And so the first, of, the first one of those is freedom for the people of God. And so Hanukkah celebrates the fact that the people of God are now free to worship him. Right? Maccabees, he sets them free. And now there's no more Hellenism, there's no more Greek, there's no more brothel, no more Zeus worship. They are free to worship. 
They're free to worship without Gentile influence. Now, in contrast, what we know is Christmas. Jesus comes into the world to create a new people of God, right? Just changes all the rules. Like, this is the new people of God. As we saw last week, he's bringing in Gentiles from from different folds. Everybody's coming. There's going to be a new people of God. And he doesn't give them just freedom to worship. He gives them freedom from death, right? He is offering eternal life. And so you see the difference there. And mind you, we'll talk about the freedom that people are celebrating is already gone, right? Because we know that they're under Roman rule now in less than 200 years. And so the second part is good works. And so in Hanukkah, they're celebrating the work of Judas Maccabees. A solid guy did a great thing, great works. You totally, not a problem having a day where everybody's like, yeah, good guy, did a very good thing, right? It's not a problem. There's no problem with that. But in verse 32 now, knowing that, frame Jesus' words in that context. He says, I have shown you many good works from the Father, for which one of them are you going to stone me? It's like, wait, this guy won a battle and he gets like a holiday? Like, I am healing people, I am feeding people, I am offering eternal life, and you're going to stone me? Wait, which, so which one of those things are you going to stone me for? Well, while you're celebrating, this guy won, you know, a single battle. You know, they were looking for another Judas Maccabees. When Jesus came, they thought the Messiah was going to be this guy who would take on Rome and give them freedom from Rome. And Jesus did so much more, right? He brings them eternal freedom. But in Christmas, what we're looking at, we're looking at the gift of eternal life through the works of Jesus. So Jesus did some works too. Healed people, right? Gave people life, sight, food, and he offers eternal life through the works of his life. And then things get really fascinating in verse 36 because he says, Do you save him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world? You are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. And now there's two things here. There's two huge issues with what he said. But the first one makes no sense unless you know what this festival is. And so let's look at consecration. Hanukkah celebrates the consecration of the temple. Get all that junk out. Get it out. It is consecrated. It is absolutely ready now to to be worshipped, right? To worship God through this. And so Jesus responds. And so the response of Christmas is he says that the Father consecrates Jesus, right? So now it's like, oh, that's why he's talking about consecration. And so Jesus comes down as the temple to restore true worship. Right? Jesus has been consecrated. He's coming down as the true temple for the worship of God's people. Jesus also comes, if you remember, um, I believe chapter 3, where, where he goes into the temple, and what does he do? Consecrates it. He throws everybody out, right? All the thieves and robbers. And so the hypocrisy is in this confrontation where they're celebrating Hanukkah They are celebrating the consecration of the temple and the freedom, right, from Epiphanies. And they are now, they no longer have freedom. 
and they're celebrating. And the temple, again, is defiled because Jesus has had to consecrate it. So this whole festival is nonsense, right? It's like, hey, remember that one time when the temple was, was good? Instead of looking at the temple in that time and realizing how bad it was and that they weren't free. Now, the second part of verse 36 is, of course, the big deal. Jesus saying that he is the son of God. And so the issue you have is the birth of Jesus or the birth of Christ. Yeah, it's double-sided. I know I heard everybody flipping their paper over. (laughs) So isn't it interesting? The The birth of Jesus, the birth of Christ. And so in Hanukkah, the celebrating Jews, no way. This, this, this is a huge difference. There's no correlation. They reject the fact that God could become a human. There's no possible way that that is true. The incarnation of Jesus is the stumbling block. You know, as we're today, we might argue about the resurrection. For the Jews in that day, it was the incarnation. And so that's why Jesus mentions that right here. It, it, the opposition you know, of Hanukkah is Christmas, right? It's the, it's the coming of God to men. Then we have Christmas, where Jesus is born to bring freedom. God coming to, as a man, to bring us freedom for those who believe and are sheep. He comes as the better temple and creates a whole new people of God brings eternal life, doesn't just defeat Rome, he defeats death. Now one more aspect of this celebration, which it doesn't mention in in the Bible specifically, but I think should be touched on, is the use of light, right? So, I mean, Christmas and Hanukkah, it's all about the lights. So during Hanukkah, why do they they, um, light the eight candles? Well, because as the story goes, you know, once Maccabees consecrated the temple, they only had enough oil for one day. And they lit it, but it stayed lit for eight days. And so that is where they get that from. The eight candles are are lit during the consecration of the temple. And therefore, those, those candles show the presence and provision of God. And again, the irony of this Whereas Christmas, I mean, I love Christmas lights. I don't know about you. I, I love every year going to see the new Christmas lights. Like, what are they going to make this year? Um, but that, that has nothing to do with this point. The point here is that they are missing the light of the world. Right? We had just talked about this, where Jesus says he is the light of the world. Not to mention, he's the one that gives them victory 200 years earlier. So it's just total, it doesn't make sense that Jesus gives them victory through Judas Maccabees. They celebrate him, don't acknowledge, right? They don't acknowledge God in that. And now they are rejecting the light of the world in in order to light candles that represent a lesser freedom that is not only lesser, but is now gone. And that is what they are concerned about. And so technically... As we look at Hanukkah, is Hanukkah in the Bible? Yes, right? Uh, We just saw that. Um, Is Hanukkah biblical? It's kind of a weird question because it's in the Bible. So 
Um, and so I would say, no, it, that it, yes, it's in the Bible, but no, it's not biblical. In as much as if we look at the story, it's say, you know, David and Bathsheba. David is looking at Bathsheba shower, right? And so is that in the Bible? Yes. Does that mean that we should go around looking at people as they shower? No. So that is not a biblical command. That is, that is a narrative. And I think the same thing here. It's like, hey, Jesus showed up at, a, at this Hanukkah party. It's like, that is not what you get out of that, is that Jesus celebrated Hanukkah, so, so, so should we. He's pointing out the hypocrisy of celebrating it in light of the reality of who he is. And to be fair, though, and, and please don't throw anything at me, Christmas is also not biblical in the exact same way. And again, just like I say, celebrating uh, uh, Judas Maccabees, cool, let's, let's celebrate the guy. He did a great thing. I think Christmas is awesome. I think the more things that we could celebrate out of the Bible and have seasons where we're singing theologically correct songs all day, yes. But can we make an argument that Christmas is biblical? No. It's not unbiblical, right? You guys see the difference? It's not, it's not unbiblical to do it. In fact, I love the fact, that, again, that we're focusing on the birth of Christ, but, but it would fall under that same category. And so after Jesus explains these things to them, of course, they, 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 in verse 39, again, they sought to arrest him, you know, although they already wanted to stone him, so I, I don't know how that works. Kill him and then put him in cuffs. I don't know. <clears throat> but uh, he escapes their hands, and this brings us back to uh, the comparison of sharing our faith, which, again, I said it's kind of, you know, we go back and forth here. And so what we see in this conversation with Jesus is that they will seek to cancel you. They will seek to cancel you, I promise. Jesus gave them the facts like nobody else could. They looked into the eyes of God and they rejected him. And they wanted to stone him. They had stones in their hands, it said. They were ready to throw down. And we will experience this as well. We will have a conversation where you will have the most legendary conversation ever. I mean, just science, math, philosophy, Bible, reason, history. I mean, you're hitting every beat, and there's no possible way anybody could reject your, your gospel and apologetic presentation. And yet, that's exactly what's going to happen. Their eyes are going to glaze over, they're going to shrug, and their mind's already been determined, right? And they're going to do what they wanted to do anyway, they want to cancel you. They want to kill you. They want to break you. They never heard you because they couldn't. And if they rejected Jesus and his, and his miracles, they can definitely reject us. Now, there's one more thing I want to look at this morning. I think it's really important. In this interaction, at the end of verse 39, it says, He escaped their hands. He escaped their hands. And so what I want us to learn this morning is it's okay to walk away. It's okay to walk away. And I know that sounds very counter to much of what I have been preaching, but it's also okay to walk away. So it's what we find here. This is not the first or last time that Jesus does something incredible. He's just healed this, this person from being blind. He's given this great theology lesson in the last couple of chapters, he's given these great discourses on being the light of the world, right? 
you know, and, and, and the bread of life, and he is the good shepherd. But then you go back and you read, after those incredible moments that we remember, we kind of forget that every one of those moments ends the same way. Jesus flees. Jesus leaves. Jesus walks away, right? But we don't like that part, right? The fact that he left. After that awesome, awesome event, he leaves. You know, as we've looked at, I do believe that we should engage inquiries as though they are genuine, share the facts of the gospel. But when, it, when and if they seek to counsel you, it is okay to walk away. You are absolutely supposed to share the faith, but you are not supposed to be abused for it. Now, sometimes we can't help that. You know, sometimes you can't help but be martyred. But sitting there and asking to be martyred, I don't think is what the Bible is communicating. You know, I've heard from so many of you, and believe me, I'm not singling anybody out. I have heard from many of you just here this morning that say that they feel bad when they are attacked for their faith. And this often takes place at school, middle school, high school, college, where you have teachers and professors making it a point to humiliate those who follow Jesus, right? Not giving many options, not talking about different, you know, different things, right? No, it's let's humiliate and make sure the Christian feels horrible. And this breaks my heart because young Christians sometimes feel defeated. You guys feel sad. You guys feel like, you feel like you've been defeated. You feel like you're a bad Christian because you can't sit there and take a verbal beating for a semester or a year. And so if you've ever had to change classes or drop classes because you were being abused for your faith, or you've had to sit in a class, maybe you're sitting there now in a class and you feel so bad because you haven't driven out the snakes, you haven't converted everybody in your class and made your class into a church plant, right? And you're just sitting there and you're taking abuse. You need to know that you didn't let God down. You didn't let your parents down. You didn't let me down. You didn't let this church down. God loves you. Your parents love you. I love you. This church loves you. Do not feel bad. It is okay to walk away. In fact, I can back this up. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, it says, do not give to dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn and attack you. And that's what it's talking about. And look, the Christian life is hard. Life is hard already. It is already hard. You do not have to make it harder by just being a punching bag to somebody who continuously you're sharing the faith and they are rejecting you. If they don't want your treasure, it's okay to move on. And perhaps in that experience, you want to be stronger for next time. Maybe you feel bad, but you want to come back. Well, then, you know, read the next couple of verses in Matthew. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Ask God to grow you in that area. 
You know, maybe that you're, God's going to give you a gift or you already have it in you and you are a glutton for punishment, in which case you're probably called to be an apologist. Right? There's people who, who God has gifted with the ability just to take the punches. Oh my goodness. But we also have to follow the example of Jesus when, when things get like this. He said his piece. He's presented the gospel. He's presented it in multiple ways. You don't just stand there and let them stone you. That, that, is, that is not something that you have to do, and you shouldn't feel bad for not, for not doing that. Don't feel defeated. Like, you are not defeated. You cannot be defeated. You are a sheep, right? You were in the hands of Jesus. You were in the hands of God the Father. There's nobody, nothing anybody can do to you. Even if they take your life, if they take your life, they still can't take you out of the hands of Jesus. Right? You're still there. They take your life, your next conscious moments, you're still in the hands of Jesus. And it's going to be awesome. Your joy is going to be complete and it's going to be awesome. Now, I read a quote yesterday by Mike Winger. I don't agree with everything he says, but I thought that this was right on. He said, being a Christian is going to require disagreeing with mainstream cultural norms. It's best we come to terms with this. And it's healthy when we also realize we don't need to convince the people around us that we are right in order to be justified in holding to what God has said. We don't need everybody else to believe us, right, for us to be right. We, we can't hold ourselves to that standard. Yes, we're going to share our faith. Yes, we're going to suffer. But I also believe the example here you know, throughout the Gospels is also, it's okay to leave the wolves to go find more sheep, right? If you know they're wolves and they're attacking you, leave them, go find more sheep or create more sheep. It's okay. You did not lose that battle. Now, passages today, you know, I, I think it, they, they can be difficult because they touch on different topics. It's like, wait, I thought he was talking about Christmas, now he's talking about security, now he's talking about, you know, these conversations, and all these things are in the text, right? We actually, there's one thing we didn't touch on, but I, I do hope and pray whatever part that you needed to hear today, that not only did you hear it, but that it's going to transform you. I hope this morning, I hope that somebody was at least as interested as me about the comparison between Hanukkah and Christmas. I hope so, that fascinated me. For others, I hope that you know that you are secure. Man, I, I believe that some of you needed to hear that this morning, that you are so secure. It's ridiculous how secure you are. You should be giggling with joy about how secure your faith is. And honestly, I think some of you, I, I do believe in my spirit that I needed to tell some of you today that, it was, that it's okay to walk away. Right? It's okay to walk away. That is not a loss. That is not how Jesus views you. We see Jesus do it all the time. The only thing they can take is your life, just like his. You know? And even then, again, Jesus went through that whole security part to let you know you have eternal life. The one thing they, can, they think they can take, they can't even take. And so, church, let me pray for us. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.